Welcome to the fourth episode of the Sodomite's Guide to Reality. In this episode, we discuss the situation with the ACA and rationality rules, as well as our concerns with what has been dubbed the regressive left. If this podcast suits you fancy, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Amateur Kadunkin Experiment, and follow me on Twitter, at Latent Physicist. Without further ado, I give you episode four of the Sodomite's Guide to Reality. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode four of the Sodomite's Guide to Reality. Thank you very much for crashing in. Um, I'm here joined by a good friend of mine, Bruce, who is an active member in the Secular Jihadist group as well, as well as the Atheist Republic. Um, Bruce, how's it going? Not too bad. How are you doing? I'm hanging in there. At least I was up until I uh, heard about what happened recently, which is going to be the topic of discussion for today's podcast. Now, unfortunately, my other friend wasn't able to join us. He is preoccupied with a few things. So um, he should be here, though, in the next podcast. And um, so anyways, I guess we could go ahead and just um, jump straight to the points. Um, So for those of you that don't know, there's been some recent mishaps among the atheist community. And not too long ago, I think it was maybe about a week ago or a week and a few days ago, this video should be up pretty soon. So I can't imagine time being a, a big difference there. Stephen Woodford, who is a part of Rationality Rules, his YouTube channel was on the atheist experience. And um, prior to that, he uploaded a video about or discussing the issue of transgender athletes and whether or not it is fair to put people who were originally men, women who were originally men, and have them competing against uh, women. And he brought up some examples such as uh, transgender women who are just beating records and many uh, athletic women are, are speaking out about this and talking about how it's just ridiculous how they're, if these transgender women wouldn't have been participating in the games and they would have been um, uh, much farther ahead. And so he made a video discussing this and then he went on the atheist experience. And then just a few days ago, I, um, yesterday, I believe, the ACA, the Atheist Community of Austin, recently denounced Stephen Woodford, referring to him as transphobic and saying that his video was in bad taste, it was in in bad faith. And uh, Stephen, of course, was distraught by this, and he made a response video to it. And luckily, it seems like um, the main people who are at the tip of the spear of the ACA, of the atheist experience, people such as Matt Dillahunty, have come out and um, been honest about the situation and said that they definitely did not agree with it. Matt Dillahunty, for instance, posted up a tweet. And so we're going to be discussing that because this is definitely something that at least me and my friend Bruce here have been noticing that it's been getting worse and worse. And this is something that has to be genuinely addressed. And so I'll put the mic on over to you, Bruce. What do you think about this entire situation? And at the very least, how is it that you choose to interpret what Stephen said or what Stephen thinks about transgender people in general, given what you know about him? Well, I first encountered Stephen Woodford's videos, um, say, I think about a year, year and a half ago, when he started putting out content regarding um, various issues out there that were in vogue at the time. I think some of the first videos I ever came across were some of his discussions regarding Jordan Peterson 
And, um, you know, Jordan being, although a respectable figure in the, in, in the intellectual community, has, in, and he's someone I, I definitely have some respect for. Um, he, his heart seems to be in the right place. I think he's an important voice in these new free speech wars. But I don't think he's necessarily intellectually honest. And when I say that, I don't mean he's 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 overtly lying or anything like that. I just don't think he's um, uh, he he's more than just a little confusing and um, tends to obfuscate his 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 views on religion. Um, and Stephen did what I thought was a very very thorough and meticulous job at pointing out inconsistencies in um, Jordan's views. And, but he did so in what I thought to be in a very, very respectable and um, courteous fashion. And in my experience, for, for most of his videos, the ones I've seen, he's been consistent in those activities from beginning to end. The the idea that he's transphobic, I take huge issue with that because in all of his other videos, he's he's demonstrated a track record of uh, of doing his best to remain ethically consistent. And in in my view, we're running into another instance of the outrage mob in which a an approach that an approach that is trying to parse careful nuance in a discussion that determines fairness, that determines safety. We're talking about sports after all. An important discussion that needs to be had is being hijacked by the outrage mob, by accusations of transphobia, um, which I, I think is devolved into virtue signaling. and. I think Stephen is being unfairly maligned for um, posting his views, uh, how, however accurate or inaccurate they, um, they, they may be. That, that should be something we should hash out in the public forum to determine the truth values of and see if there's any validity to, see if there's any validity to it and how do we act on those things in an ethically responsible fashion. Well, we can't do that if, um, the, if, 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 if outrage is the only thing people are interested in discussing. Yes, yeah. I find the situation to be absolutely deplorable. Right, it's horrifying. And the, the, there's two parts of this equation here that I'm noticing. I mean, the, the first part is, of course, whether or not Stephen was correct in any of the claims that he made in that video. And that video is open for question. You can absolutely make arguments against some of the statements that he's made. And that's perfectly fine. I, I think that to me is, you know, it, it's not demonstrative of you know kind of any malicious intent I, you you can absolutely have conversations you can absolutely debate and i'm even someone who has who's perfectly okay with being a, uh, a bit of a dick um that might be a bit of an unpopular opinion i think so long as you're not resorting to ad hominem attacks i think it's perfectly fine if you have a bit of um you know a bit of a no bullshit attitude you know in the same way that christopher hitchens had um however um the other part of the equation and the equation that is most troubling for me is trying to decipher what it was, what, what was Stephen's intent behind that video. And that to me is what the ACA is completely failing on because it's not just so much as them saying that what Stephen said was incorrect. 
but they are now psychoanalyzing Stephen and making a claim that he's transphobic, that he's against the LGBT community, which if there's anything that you know about Stephen based on his previous videos, he has been consistent in attacking uh, religion when it comes to them trying to trespass over the rights of the LGBT community. It's, I mean, that, that's something that's very obvious for anybody who's actually seen his videos, and you would expect the ACA, the people who run it, to have been well acquainted with who Stephen was before having him on the show, the atheist experience. Yes. And the other part is, and, and I think this is definitely a very important point. In fact, I like what you said um, when you were on the podcast with uh, Killian Korth, I think his name is, right? Uh, yes. As another friend of you. You yeah, said that. One. Yeah. Yeah. What, what the outrage mob seems to be doing is that they're getting a sledgehammer, they're getting a hammer, and they're attacking these issues when really you only need an exacto knife. And I think that basically perfectly demonstrates the situation because we're dealing with, we're at a time right now when, when people's jobs can basically be lost if enough people on Twitter complain. And there's, there's a clear problem there for me, especially when you know studies demonstrate that Twitter is just, it, not, not by any stretch of the imagination is Twitter representative of the general public's opinion. Right. And they're even vocal, um, atheists, you know, I, I, at the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned how this is um, becoming an issue within the atheist community itself, because there are prominent atheists out there whom, um, whom, I, whom I enjoy watching their videos, but they are on the side of the ACA against rationality rules on this. And that to me is just insane. Like, it seems like everyone's trying to psychoanalyze uh, Stephen and try to label him as a transphobe. It's just not by any stretch of the imagination was that ever in anyone's mind when he published that video. Well, it's irrational. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I guess um, the skeptic community can really, really go so far, I suppose, or at least for some people. I, I, I see this as an outgrowth of what we call regressive left. It's the, I mean, a lot of it comes from very, very broad strokes. It comes from a good place. The, there's issues regarding regressive left, leftism primarily um, in several social justice issues today, like Islam, uh, the discussions behind it the, the, regarding fundamentalism, uh, the, the, the transgender community, gay rights, feminism, anything. So I'm, uh, I'll, go, I'll go out on a, on, on a line here and the people I'm familiar with, at least for the most part, tend not to be familiar with the very, very fine slices in issues that we deal with today. So w without knowledge of, 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 of aspects that give you knowledge of, of specifics and minutia, Whenever we hear something that sounds even slightly contradictory, and if they trigger our moral senses, we immediately jump to a broad stroke analysis of a scenario. Um, we hear a slight about about uh, about transgender athletes. We we immediately think that they're that they're they're that 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 the person who made these. Uh, who made who made certain comments is immediately transphobic. But I'll, I'll approach this from my point of view. I'm a practicing martial artist, and 
I, I, I'm, I'm definitely a fan of, of, of MMA, of kickboxing, of jujitsu, of, of, of a variety of martial arts. It's an athletic activity. In martial arts, we always split up competitors by weight classes because it's an, it's an undisputable fact that people have who have certain attributes have certain advantages that sometimes override technical capability. If someone's a little bit taller than you, they have reach. If someone's heavier than you, they're, they're more muscular, they have more mass, they can lift you much more, um, much more easily off the ground and they can hit a lot harder. So we separate people by weight classes in order to give them, uh, in order to level the playing field as much as possible. And that being said, we also do the same thing for the, for the sexes. We have a women's division, we have a men's division. That that's not to say that women can't beat can't beat men. I've I've trained with women before in the past who I would never ever want to meet in a back alley. Um, they're they're most certainly capable. They're they're that they can't be disputed. But if you, I'm not super familiar with what happens to someone who decides to go through um, a, a procedure that transforms them physically into a member of the opposite sex. But if I'm not mistaken, there are residual residual attributes that are left over from, say, when a woman um, when a when a woman decides to become a man, something about I think something about estrogen um, um, making the bones a little bit harder or something like that. I I don't know. Don't take my word for it. This is something I just know um, through a tangential basis. If those attributes are left over in in somebody, and I'm not saying there are, but but let's just say theoretically they are. If they confer an unfair advantage to um, an athlete who wants to who who was who was formerly a woman who who is now a man who's, who well, I'm sorry who is formerly a man who is now fighting as a woman against other women now that those those issues could result in could those those aspects can result in issues regarding safety and even fairness. Okay. Now. Of, now, the the dignity of the individual who's transgender, of course, must be respected. But these are nuanced issues that we just simply can't 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 brush away. I'm not I'm not saying we should be discriminatory, but surely there's some kind of middle ground we can talk about that can 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 we can look for a result that is not that is not only intellectually but also ethically honest from all these aspects and you can't do that by just screaming oh you're a transphobic or or or, or, or whatever that's that's how how does that lead to any kind of responsible responsible judgment it's it's it, it's it's wrong yeah right uh, unfortunately um this is a topic that i have to um speak about from the sidelines because me and sports don't tend to mix very well I think the last sport I played was soccer, and even that, that, that must have been a good 15 years ago. But the one thing that I can safely say, at least um, probably the most convincing argument that I've heard from the people on the side of transgenders uh, openly participating against women, is that of that sports has never been fair. No matter what, people are always going to have, as you said, particular attributes that are more pronounced in some people than in others. And so they said... And I, when I was watching the Joe Rogan podcast with Adam Conover from Adam Ruins Everything, he, he was talking about this, but the fact that no matter what, we're, 
the question is, the, the problem is that we're drawing an arbitrary line about what we consider is fair and what is not fair. And so to say that, um, saying that, you, you know, someone who is transgender, it's unfair for them to be competing against women is just as unfair, or at the very least is just as an arbitrary line that we are making as weight class in boxing. Now, this doesn't, this doesn't seem like a very convincing argument to me, but I'd like to know what your thoughts are on that, since you yourself, you're well-versed within the realm of, you know, uh, you know as, as you said, you're a, a martial artist. What, what, how would you respond to that? That's something I can't, I can't really comment on without, without knowing much more about what exactly happens when, um, during, during, a, during a physical realignment of someone who wants to be, con who is essentially being converted from man to woman or woman mm -hmm. to man. All I, I guess can, all I can say is, is that when that transition happens, we, we would have to, we have to know a little bit more about what's, what's about what is left over and what is introduced and how does that, how would that con conceivably um, alter someone's physical performance in a um, in, in, in a sport? Now, mm -hmm. the it, it, it's it's a complicated topic because I'll I'll go ahead and say that I I I do think that. There are safety issues that have to be taken in, into account, but having seen and participated in some martial arts competitions myself, I do know that there are events in which they, there are, say in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, there are some competitions that have um, complete open weight competitions in which you, you could be, you could be, say, a, a 140-pound competitor and somehow, somehow you get paired with someone who's 200 pounds and um, because it's an open weight division you would fight it out but the terms of engagement have been agreed upon now if you want to do something like that for athletes that that pretty much know what they're getting themselves into whether they're man woman transgender or not then if those parameters have been established have at it and it, it, that that is, I, I believe that would be fine, right? But that seem that to me sound, seems to be a little bit different than someone who's been altered, and and who may have attributes who, who may have attributes that could change that could change the playing field, and those things have to be have to be just have to be taken into account and discussed. Now it could now it, I I could be completely wrong on this, but the crux of the matter is now is not whether or not. Well, l let me rephrase that. The, we should be able to have this conversation. Uh, I, controversial ideas such as this should be able to be discussed in front of an audience. And knowing Stevens' videos in the past, he's he's. He's demonstrated that he's that he's careful in, in his thought. Now he made a, he, he may have made some mistakes, but I find it very hard to believe that he came from bad place when he brought these issues to light. Now he's coming out with a response video that that addresses some of these some of these views. And my question to the ACA and my question 
to the community, to the audience, why are we suddenly attributing the most malicious intent behind Steven's video video that doesn't make any that doesn't make any sense that's that's the that's the most ungenerous position you could ever assign to him especially in light of his previous material that doesn't make any sense at all it's it, it's criminal yeah and regardless of how staunch of a um of a, of a take or of a position that you have on the issue there's one thing that we can undeniably state and that this is this is a conversation that is going to have to be had continuously and there's no easy answer to this because there's no consensus among anybody, it seems. There, there's so much nuance that is required in this conversation that we can't, uh, you know, we can't risk immediately trying to throw anybody under the bus in hopes that our position will win just by trying to seem either bigger or you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, virtue signaling. We, we, we just can't do this, right? It, this isn't. It's not like we're we're discussing climate change, where ninety seven percent of climate scientists are in agreement on there. Right. This is this is genuinely a topic that is currently open for investigation. That is, it, it should be perfectly acceptable to have conversations about this while still being aware of the sensitivities of the trans community. You know, it's no secret that the suicide rate among trans people is astronomically higher than just about any other minority group. We can still be aware of that. We can still acknowledge that. We can still navigate our uh, our sensitivities around that. But we still also have to be intellectually honest with ourselves and say that this is a conversation that requires nuance, that requires dedication to the topic, and that requires us to embrace the opposition's viewpoints in hopes that we're going to be able to either dissect any inconsistencies or incoherent arguments in their stance, while also acknowledging that most likely we're also going to have those inconsistencies on our own stance. And Stephen Woodford is someone that I can at least safely say that that's the type of philosophy that he has when uploading and when filming his videos. Yes. And what, what amazes me by the ACA is that it wasn't just so much what they did you know, disavowing Woodford, but it was also their language and their rhetoric in the post. Um, I'm, you've read the post, right? What they, they, they made it seem as if Stephen was this sort of Machiavellian anti-SJW YouTuber who was horrified of trans people. And, and, and we also have to understand, like, the word transphobic itself, it means a fear of trans people. But I, I not for a second that I even get a hint of fear of the trans community in Steven's video. Right. I have no I have no idea how they reached this conclusion. The only the only way that I can kind of look at the situation and make sense of it is think that identity politics has been drilled into some people's heads so much so to the point where anybody if anybody just veers a tad bit away from their position, from where they draw the line between what is rational and what isn't. And they're going to pounce on you like piranhas. Uh, this is and this is horrifying because I see this more and more, especially on Twitter. Do you think that this sort of mentality is going to go away anytime soon in the near future? I, I I'd like to believe that it that it that it will, but in my in my view, I I personally don't think so. I, that's that's one of the reasons I think that um, people who are interested in the cause of reason, who are interested in having 
these important minute discussions need to start speaking out more and more. Um, I'll go off on a little bit of a tangent here that um, that's related. I, I actually have a friend who's who's transgender. Um, he and I have spoken about has spoken in the past and um, despite having gone through gender reassi gender reassignment himself, he is one of the few people I know who doesn't fall who does not fall into the regressive left category. If if you listen to my previous podcast with Killian, you know that I gave a talk about the regressive left to um, a group of people one time. And he was one of the first people I showed it to. We had a discussion in which he was arguing on some kind of internet forum about how he didn't feel that people should be forced to use transgender pronouns. Although he did believe that people should be generous. If someone prefers to be called something, a certain pronoun, then by all means, call them that. Do it, do it, do it out of human decency and respect. But he was very much against the idea that they should be mandated by law to do so. Um, that which, if I'm not mistaken, was part of the controversy. Part of the controversy surrounding Jordan Peterson, who spoke out against um, a, a bill in Canada that 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 implied man, that implied the mandation of such speech. He spoke out. Uh, he, a transgender person, spoke out against this. And from what he told me, he got he he, he was slandered. He was slandered for it. Um, so. If you're willing to throw a member of your own, even a member of your own community under the bus by not fully agreeing with you, then what you have is a purity culture. <laughs> and, you know, we're, we're talking about the ACA. We're talking about people who speak out against religious dogmatism. But the, the ultimate irony here is I, I don't see how they cannot view their own actions as being incredibly dogmatic in themselves because in criticizing certain certain activities certain activities or certain ideas about transgender participation in sports and when I say criticize I mean bring 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 nuance in what if scenarios to light I don't. In bringing those, in bringing these these real these very realistic concerns and allowing them to be run over by outrage mobs, how is that any different than a church burning someone at the stake for falling out for falling out of line with a prevailing orthodoxy? That the ultimate irony here is that I kind of see the the ACA doing the same thing and not only the ACA but the the whole of the regressive left and that's ultimately going to kill social justice and there are very real social justice issues out there what happens when someone continuously cries outrage so someone who what happens when someone continues to shut down nuance you have an instance of the boy crying wolf 
Well, in the future, when social justice issues, when important social issues, social justice issues need to be raised. With all of this in motion. Isn't that going to endanger future future activities that need to be brought to light? And this is an incredibly this is an incredibly dangerous scenario we've, we're finding ourselves in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the word the word social justice, it's very hard at least for me now to take it seriously whenever anybody proclaims that they're an advocate of social justice, because I immediately associate that with the type of social justice that has been popularized ever since around you know 2013 or 14, when this phenomena of um, you know sort of oversensitivity or you know prioritizing the skin color of a person over any of their other attributes first started emerging. Uh, Jonathan Haidt wrote a wonderful book. The Coddling an American Mind that tries to accurately diagnose what it was that started this phenomenon. And, you know, and, and as you said, there's a genuine problem where if so many people begin crying wolf about a particular problem, let's say, um, you know, socioeconomic disparities, as soon as you bring that up into a conversation with somebody who's been down the rabbit hole of anti-SJW, uh, YouTube channels such as Sargon of Akkad, um, you know, you know, any of those guys, then there's immediately going to be animosity between the two of them. And that's going to be a huge issue when it comes, because you can make a genuine strong case, and these are cases that I agree with, for, you know, white people to have a privileged status over minority groups. Sure. I think, I think that's a genuine problem, and I, and I agree with that. But the problem here is that the left has a terrible PR team. And Brett Weinstein discussed this when he, um, and Rash oh, Rationality Rules actually made a video about this. It was, he was asking the question, is the left dating itself? I saw the video, yes. Yeah, it was wonderful. And Brett Weinstein, who used to be a professor, I think of, um, at, I think it was a, a zoology or, or a biology professor at Evergreen State. Right. He was basically castrated on that campus all because he had the audacity to go against the idea of, you know, of mandating that white people not go on campus. I mean, he eventually had to leave. Well, the ultimate irony there was that um, I, I believe um, Mr. Weinstein comes from uh, from Jewish her from, from a Jewish heritage. And um, one of the reasons I think he showed up on campus is because bad stuff started happening when people told one when people started telling people of one ethnicity or um religious association were not to go and that his actions there were understandable it, it, it had nothing to do with 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 him quote unquote exercising his white privilege it it, 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 it was an ethical stand and i and i believe it was in the right um, his heart is in the right place mm -hmm. he did that and what happened he got set upon by the outrage mob and you know it's it's ridiculous yeah yeah it, it's insane and I, a good friend of mine, actually, a, per, a person whom I live with, one of my housemates, he went to Evergreen State College oh, really? for about a year. Yeah, it's insane. I, he actually mentioned it to me when I was watching part three of the, of the documentary that's, that recently came out about the whole situation. I'll leave the link in the description of the YouTube channel or in the bio if you're listening to this on CastBox or iTunes. But a recent documentary, a three-part documentary came out by a YouTuber, and he had Brett Weinstein and uh, Heather Hain, or Hain, or however you pronounce her last name. And they were talking about this, and they were showing video footage of it. And it really just opens your eyes to the level of chaos that happened on that campus. And I was watching it, and my friend passed by, and he said, 
holy shit, I went there. And he was telling me, that's one of, like, that is probably the hippiest places I've ever been in my life. It's insane. You feel like you could, you, you couldn't even breathe just by the amount of, you know, weed smoke suffocates you, I guess. <laughs> and as we, as we were saying, there's no reason to believe that Brett Weinstein is acting maliciously or that he has some ulterior motive because he was acting, you know, he was acting in a way in which he was aware of the fact that people had genuine problems, genuine concerns, and that they may have been sensitive to some types of speech. He was aware of that. And I think he, he was, you know, kind of tiptoeing around the way that he was wording some of the things that he was saying. But for some reason, there, there seems to be this immediate knee-jerk reaction to assume that anybody that does not take the same exact position for you is upholding, in their own words, and this is the way that they were saying it, is being complicit and upholding white supremacy. This is an insane idea. We're seeing this kind of activity just um, constantly pop up all over the place, and the it's it, it's a very it's it's pernicious. And um, I I mean I grew up in a in an area that 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 that's hev that's heavily quote unquote left. I, I I don't use the word liberal because their their the the actions and the activities taken by such individuals to promote social justice which is still very important don't get me wrong it, 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 the, the the methods they're using are completely illiberal mm -hmm. um and going back to my hometown now and seeing seeing the viewpoints of such people just fall along the lines of regressive leftism that's it's incredibly disturbing i mean like we're talking about Bert weinstein in one instance but another circumstance we we also have to mention the um there was a there was um i think her, her, there was a dean at claremont mckenna college um, oh that's right yes yeah there was uh, there was this young lady there who I, I think she she wrote about being marginalized and the the dean wrote her an email saying Hey, I'd like to have a discussion with you um, about um, about. I think something along the lines of um, seeing what we could do for students who quote unquote don't fit who, who don't fit the mold. Now, if you read that email, how could how could anyone read that that letter and attribute any kind of maliciousness to it? And but that's what that student did and it, it that the that the outrage it engendered was just absolutely ridiculous <laughs> yeah i mean i i remember reading that and that to me seemed like a completely um just a completely normal response but but for some reason what the way she interpreted what he said like the you know the the claremont Mc, uh, mckenna law college mold she assumed that he was expecting uh some sort of cultural change from her that she should be expected to act more white. That to me is insane. Like, I, I really like the way that Sam Harris um, uh, chooses to address people with opposing views. And he says that, you know, the best way that we can go about these situations is to have the best possible interpretation of what somebody else is saying. And I like that because we really can only go by what some people are saying. And I think there are some genuine concerns that people have when, uh, you know, someone like Stephen Molyneux from uh, uh, 
I forget what his YouTube channel is called, but he talks a lot about, or he's talked about race and IQ. And people have concerns also about Charles Murray when they talk about race and IQ because he he's considered um, right wing. He and he is very openly conservative. So people have um, concerns about what they say on one topic based on what they say on other topics. And I think there can be some um, merit to that claim, but we also have to be concerned about claiming that we know better than anybody else about what it is that they actually think. And that's and, and that's the thing that really irks me. And I have the same problem with uh, the conversation around free speech when people say that speech itself needs to be mandated. There are some things that we just simply can't talk about. And what irks me is that there are people out there that think that they are a better judge. They are a better judge of what it is that I am allowed to be exposed to. And I think that's absolutely ridiculous. And Jonathan Haidt um, mentioned the, mentioned this also mentioned this also in his book, and he views ideas, speech, conversation, sort of like pathogens, or uh, he views bad speech as you know a sort of pathogen. Where the best way that we can minimize the amount of damage that they do or at least overcome these sort of pathogens is by coming up with better speech, better ideas. Because if these are ideas that really are so bad to the point where we need to have a conversation about whether or not we can even allow them in society, then we should be able to prove why they're bad. We should be able to rationalize our way into an area where most people can agree, like, okay, yes, those are bad ideas. Racism is a bad idea. If having a conversation about race and IQ really is as bad as other people say it is, then we should be able to, uh, you know, sort of inoculate ourselves by coming up with better ideas. And that's something that I wholeheartedly agree with. And I see that also um, bleeding into what you see on college campuses as well. Heather McDonald, who wrote The Diversity Delusion, I forget what college she was on, but she received many death threats. She had to have security escort her in and out of the building. And I think the place where she was supposed to give a speech at this university, she was she couldn't even give the speech at the venue where it was supposed to be. Yep. I think she had to be in like in a private room and it had to be live stream and there was either little to no people in the audience or or whatever. And this is a growing trend. And and I do agree, however, um, the people who are um, very critical of I, I don't like calling it the anti-SJW crowd or very uh, people who are critical of the people who are critical of the progressive left. I do think there are some merits in their complaints when they say that some people are claiming that they are liberals, but in reality, they're just kind of, you know, they're really just agreeing with just about every right-wing position that you can imagine. And the person that immediately comes to mind is is Dave Rubin, of course. And there are other people, of course, that also come to mind. And I do think that there also is some merit to their arguments. They're saying that, well, you know, like people like Ben Shapiro, you and me discussed this because Ben Shapiro was recently on a BBC interview with right. um, well, a journalist, I think, but I forget his last name. His first name was Andrew, where Ben Shapiro ended up just storming off because he assumed that the interviewer was acting with bad intent, with, you know, sort of malicious undertones. And sure, you can make that argument. But we have to be careful with those assumptions. And again, I go back to what Sam Harris said. We have to make sure that we're interpreting only the best possible interpretation of someone else's actions. And, you know, and I, I would even go as far as to say that when, when, you know, when I argue against people who have, or when I argue against the regressive left, against people who I would consider a part of the regressive left, yeah, I, I have to be very careful because I don't like saying the word social justice warrior. Uh, 
because a lot of people often get confused and they and I've had people often ask me, well, you know, what exactly is so wrong with, you know, preferring social justice? It, it's not that social justice is the bad thing. I, I think, I mean, the term itself is used ironically. It's not used literally. So I prefer the term regressive left just because it causes less confusion. And there are some regressive tendencies that I see on the right, which I do think should also be addressed. And this is some of my problems that I have with Ben Shapiro when he doesn't seem to have a problem with all those videos on YouTube that say Ben Shapiro destroys, you know, X, Y, and Z. Or when he, you know, uh, claims that the left has institutionalized, yeah. um, you know, baby killing. Uh, the, these pretty much, this is very similar to the rhetoric and the language that he criticizes and condemns the regressive left for. Yeah. And so yeah. we have to be responsible as well when we're criticizing the left. Well, there, there is also an issue of it on the right, but because it's so much more pronounced on the left, that's what most people focus on. But you can focus on two things at once, I think. So, I mean, how do you, how do you, how would you go about that? Well, I mean, what do you think of that? Well, identity politics exists both on the left and the right, but in very, very different ways. On the left, they, the issues of identity belong to previously um, marginalized groups. On the right, however, the identity politics fall into groups of, like, say, patriotism, patriotism nationalism, et cetera, et cetera. As regarding free speech, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an individual who leans just left of center. Um, I, I don't swing all the way over to the left. I consider myself, well, I, I'm very tempted to say classical liberal, but I'm not sure if that position necessarily espouses all of my views. So I'll just go with the idea. I'll, I'll just go with liberal for now. We, I occasionally speak to people who feel very, very charged about social justice, and some of them argue that there should be laws outlaw, outlawing quote-unquote hate speech. But that term can easily be conflated with speech that is used to criticize certain issues that have to, that deal with with, with certain groups and criticism in itself is not hate now as for the idea of censoring speech to that extent when we're talking about censoring speech you're effectively telling you're, you're effectively saying that you want to invest power in some kind of governmental in, in, in some kind of state or governmental authority to regulate what can and cannot be expressed because that's what speech inevitably is. It's a means of expression from the, say, a shirt you're wearing, a, um, an art, an, a piece of art that you're um, creating, some music that you want to, that you may want to sing, et cetera, et cetera. What we're effectively doing is investing some kind of official body with a power to regulate that. And what does that eventually imply? Some people would define government as being some kind of institution that has a monopoly on force, for the, the, the ability to use force to, if it comes down to it, to enforce law. Well, to those regressive leftists, I would, I would ask this question. 
how comfortable would you be giving that power or situating it so close to someone like Donald Trump? And we 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 all know what how what the, the kind of tirades he goes up on Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. Do you really want someone like that to be regulating your speech? Now let's expand that that perspective a little bit. If you're a Democrat and you have, say, a Republican in that position, and you have invested such a body with the ability to regulate your speech, you, you just painted yourself into a corner. You're you're, you're you're allowing someone who is who is who has views that are diametrically opposed to yours to regulate your speech, and vice versa is also true. What if we have a Democrat in office and a Repu and um who 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 feels no compunction about about regulating um, the speech of people on the right? It's it's a lose lose scenario. And so for, from that from that standpoint, I, I firmly believe that the uh, the current free the current speech laws we have should should be preserved. And you know this is sounding more and more cliche, but it's something I very I very very much stand by. The the best way to to tackle hate speech, the best way to tackle bad ideas, is to allow a lot more speech. And if someone challenges your viewpoints, if you can't come up with a good response, then the only intellectually honest thing to do is to go back, do your homework, do some research, find out why it is you believe what you believe, and bring it into play. The that to my to my way of thinking is the only way to to move forward in an, in, in 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 an ethical and in an ethical fashion that won't eventually in some way trample upon our civil liberties. Right. Yeah, that idea, um, many people have mocked that idea, that the best way to go about um, you know, you know, tackling hate speech is by allowing more speech. But I've yet to hear a better alternative. I, I've yet to hear anything that's even remotely close to as 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 good as a as good as an option as just letting more speech or having better ideas is. Um, how would you respond to many people out there who are saying many, many people on the left that say, yes, okay, you know, all these sort of progressive leftists. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Endless Aporia. You can also follow me on Twitter at Layton Physicist or follow me on Instagram, Penrose Paradox. Be on the lookout for our next podcast in which we'll be having another man on the mic. Thanks for listening. Disingenuous argument because okay, here's the thing. Let's touch let's touch on the subject of Islam for a second. The, the idea that of, of Islamophobia, for instance, We want to. We we always want to preserve the rights of Muslim peoples to worship as they please. That's that's one of the rights we're guaranteed. Freedom of religion is one of the rights that all Americans are guaranteed. And there are a lot of people out there who identify as Muslims who are wonderful folks. Their 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 rights 
should absolutely be protected. They, 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 they belong in the society. There is no question of that. And anti-Muslim bigotry is a very, very real thing. It, it should never, ever be tolerated. But you can also make the argument that Islam, as compared to the other two Abrahamic religions, hasn't quite modernized as well as the other as as Christianity or Judaism. And there's a problem with fundamentalism in that faith today. But criticism of that religion has been conflated with 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 bigotry, mm-hmm. as you and I both know. Right. And the stubborn insistence on the idea that this religion is completely one hundred percent peaceful. There are there are there are no problems with there are no large scale problems with fundamentalism in it today. It's it's exactly the same as Christianity and Judaism. Oh, there's bad stuff in the Bible too. That's a dishonest way of discussing the situation and shutting down people with accusations of bigotry and not allowing for very very important discussions to occur. That. That occur that uh, that that are, that uh, that are spoken of by people who are willing to draw a distinction between be, between decent, good-hearted Muslims and the other variety that we, we would call Islamists, mm-hmm. um, far like far right, far right, uh, far right, heavily conservative Muslims who practice dangerous aspects of their faith. We're sidelining. We're 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 tying our we're we're tying our own hands by not having this finely nuanced conversation. We're not speaking honestly about truth. And the accusation that the far right is worse, I find that to be an incredibly dishonest perspective and and a mistaken one, because if good, decent people are not willing to have difficult but important conversations in an ethically responsible fashion, Denying facts, denying ideas. Well, you just took facts, statistics, and you push them over to people on, say, the far right who will take those facts and discuss them in an irresponsible fashion, which fuels the far right. If we do that, you're going to get even more anti-Muslim bigotry, and we don't we don't want that. And the same thing goes for for the the, the transgender community or or or, or, fe- or feminism or any social justice issue that we honestly care about. The discussion of truth should always shouldn't be something that we should just. Silence by by screams of outrage because they're 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 issues that have to be fi- finally parsed and brought out into the light by responsible, well-meaning people. By not doing so, we fuel the far right, which will give us results that none of us in a lib- in, in a liberal democracy want to have. That. That will that will, will quite frankly endanger those 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 minorities that we 
seek to protect. So I, I don't so I, I don't agree with that with, with what they're saying. The far right is worse. Okay, yes, it is worse. But but you're but by by taking this approach, you're magnifying that that threat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I think one of the biggest disservices that websites such as YouTube and Twitter have done is that it's so easy to inoculate yourself or to place yourself in this echo chamber in which, you know, the way the algorithm works, it's very easy for you to just look at one video of Ben Shapiro and then get recommended 50 videos that are either right leaning or far right. And as I said about the Islam issue before with, with one of my friends is that because of this, because it's so easy to immediately place yourself in an echo chamber with people who think exactly the same as you do, most people view the situation with Islam in binary terms, where they think that the problem is entirely due to political grievances or entirely due, you know, in the West, as I said, or entirely due to just religion itself and religious fundamentalists. Where I always said, like, the, the problem is that we have to locate the center of mass, you know, between political grievances and between and between faith, because and don't take that as a sort of centrist cop out answer. It's simply an honest analysis of the situation that we're dealing with a multivariate equation. Right. And we're not going to be able to fully and accurately diagnose the problem if we're strictly allowing ourselves to listen to people who think exactly the same as us and listening to what their interpretation of the opposition's viewpoint is. And I, I think that's why so many people straw man the opposition is because if you're listening to someone like, uh, I don't want to name drop anyone, but let's say you're listening to somebody who is very right wing or very left wing, and you're listening to what his arguments are, and you're listening to how he interprets what the other side's arguments are, then as far as you're concerned, that is your only exposure to what the other side is, rather than actually crossing the road and listening for yourself what the other side is. Very few people do this. And the people that do do this are people who, whom I admire very much. I think Sam Harris does this, which is why I consider him to be one of the most important speakers of our time. And I think people like um, Steven Pinker does this, yeah. uh, someone I also very much respect. But there are other people that don't do this. And these are people who have a very, very large audience. And their, their audience thinks exactly like them. I mentioned to you, uh, you know, recently Tim Poole and David Pakman had a, a debate. And they had a debate about free speech, censorship, and the algorithm behind Twitter. Sure. And if you go on David Pakman's channel, and if you look at the YouTube comments, all of them are just strictly anti-Tim Pool. They're calling them, um, you know, Tim Fool or, or you know, or, uh, you know, and, and basically just, you know, anything like that. But if you go on Tim Pool's YouTube channel and you look at his comment section, it's the exact opposite, where they're calling David Pakman an SJW, a regressive. And I'm getting scared that this is becoming worse and worse. And based on the level of hate that people whom I think are actually trying to reach across the aisle like Steven Pinker and Sam Harris. I can't imagine this getting any better because I see people like them getting more and more hate rather than less. Steven, and it's interesting just 
you know, Steven Pinker will recently posted something on Twitter. Um, what was it? Oh, yes, it was about um, this one guy. Uh, he he was on he's on Al Jazeera. I forget his name, but he he was talking um, about atheism, and he 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 demonstrated some very anti-atheistic sentiments about the new atheist movement. Talks about how the rise in new atheism is very closely linked with the rise in white supremacy, right? right which right. is a ridiculous. And yet he didn't necessarily get ratioed, but he, he got comments with around 500 likes that showed screenshots of what Sam Harris was saying about torture, what he was saying about race and IQ. These are terrible arguments. These are shitty arguments, but they're becoming more and more popular. And I don't think it's because people are rationalizing their way into these positions. It's because people are becoming more binary in the way that they choose to view the world, more tribalistic. I'm a bit of a pessimist when it comes to this. I'm, I don't know. I'm concerned. And I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know how to solve this problem. I'm hoping conversations like this one that you and I are having would help the situation. But when you see, you know, stuff like what the ACA is doing, just completely disavowing someone. For things that they didn't say, things that they think that they are that the other person is thinking, I, it's concerning. It, it, it most certainly is the um, well. I, I I don't know how much how much things are turning around, if if at all. Um, when I talk to people who are predominantly left, they almost instantaneously sing the praises of any left-wing hero that's in the, that's in vogue at the time. D ditto for the right. If people on the right like or at the very least tolerate Donald Trump. People on the left like or even tolerate um, someone like um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and these. These individuals are, are are mirror images of each other, and it it, it almost suddenly it, it almost suddenly becomes like a flavor of the month for said individuals who have gravitated towards a specific political tribe, but. One thing I find very interesting is that if you pull an individual from either side and question them about an issue that you that you're fairly well that you're fairly well versed in and you're you're asking for specifics on what they know of an issue and they're sometimes not able to give a reasonable response then you have to ask them, why do you believe what it is you believe? I mean, Steven Pinker, I think you once mentioned, um, someone in, in, in the audience at one of his events asked him about how to have effective conversations across the political aisle. And he mentioned first clarifying what exactly it is you're talking about. I think uh, the, one of the examples he gave is like um, if he saw someone who was against the, trans the, the Transatlantic Trade Act or whatever it was, and um, he would ask them, well, what exactly is that? And if the response he got was, well, I don't know, then 
yeah appropriate to ask the the other individual what it is why it is they believe what they believe i mean i have a friend of mine who's 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 right wing um who was absolutely incensed by by uh, by um by Colin Ka- Colin Kaepernick kneeling in front of the flag. Uh, Colin Kaepernick. Kaepernick. Yeah, I can't say his last name. Um, I'm amazed I could believe me. I'm terrible with names. <laughs> and um, th- this person just completely lost their shit when um, saying that this this idiot is tearing the nation apart. This person is. Uh, should be thrown in prison. And when I brought up the, when I brought like during the Civil Rights Act, the um, the pe- people marching for for equal rights for for equal rights, um, resulted in, in in rioting and civil disturbances, which arguably um tore the country up, apart much more than what than, than what anything Kaepernick did. And um, this person completely lost it. And I I, I told I started talking about certain precedences that were made since the since the uh, since the creation of the constitution that uh, that um that involved free speech and this person who was who's very very much against slavery who's very very much for women's rights just told me straight faced we need to return to the original constitution are you kidding me the the, the original constitution had provisions for for uh, the original constitution the original like when the um when the country was just founded, there were provisions for slavery. So did this person know anything about the topic or, or were they just gravitating towards their specific tribe? Mm-hmm. The answer is clear. So yeah. the, the tribalism definitely plays a big role in this. It's, it's one of the reasons I was, when, when, when Pangborn philosophy was in its heyday, they were bringing these conversations to the public. I was hoping that the, the, the organization pretty much went down to flames, but I was really hoping that it would morph into something big, that it would just bring these 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 discussions from across the political aisle straight into straight into the public eye. There there was every indication that people were interested when we saw the Jordan Peterson Sam Harris debates, which were fantastic. But unfortunately, that 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 endeavor fizzled out. I argue that that's something we still absolutely need. We 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 can't be divided because of buzzwords, because of something we just feel so strongly about. People need to, and by people, I include myself in this in this matter as well. I don't mean to say like I'm some kind of intellectual, some some incredibly intelligent intellectual or whatnot. We absolutely need to have avenues and venues for ideas to be discussed, to be hammered out, to be uh, to, to be finally parsed in as civil a fashion as possible. I mean, I, I was at an event with Seth Andrews last week. He was he he gave an absolutely fantastic talk that I think everyone should listen to about being generous of not always jumping to the worst possible motive for someone who voices oppositions to certain ideas not the, the voice of opposition doesn't all doesn't necessarily always come from a terrible place but you're not going to you're not going to discover that unless you're willing to step into the murky waters and hear 
hear the reasons for why people believe what they believe and challenge yourself. Right. I'm hoping street epistemology starts becoming more and more popular because I think that's, as far as I'm concerned, that's probably one of the most effective ways of having a conversation. And I would also hope that it becomes more and more popular when people try to be either much more precise in their language or go to extra lengths to try to understand what other people are actually um, or how they are defining it is that what they're saying. Because I see this converse, uh, I see this problem when people are talking about whether or not black people can be racist. Well, you have two completely different definitions of racism. One includes institutionalized oppression and power, where the other one isn't. Well, the, the other one doesn't. The other one just goes by the textbook dictionary definition of racism, where you believe that one race is superior to the other. So if you have two people arguing about whether or not black people can be racist, and you're using both your own respective definitions, then you're not even having a conversation so much as, a, as you're talking past one another. And this is something that I'm hoping starts to be seen less and less. I saw this in the debate that Jordan Peterson had with Marxism, where Slavoj Zizek, was, you know, he was the one that Jordan Peterson debated. He has a very sort of, I would argue that he has a watered down definition of Marxism. And he uses the word Marxism not so much as um, you know, a word that he chooses to identify himself because he believes in Marxism, but rather he uses it as an argument against capitalism, as a way to demonstrate the problems that capitalism has. But when Jordan Peterson started speaking in that debate, he was using his definition of Marxism. He was using the definition of Marxism that he conceived of when he read the Communist Manifesto. Already that you know, already we're going to have problems here because you're not even you're not even talking towards each other, but you're just talking past each other because you right. have a different understanding of what it is that you're talking about. So I'm hoping that street epistemology will become more popular because I think that's a very effective way for not just yourself, who who like, but also for the other person because I think it helps the other person also truly understand their position because someone who says, okay, yes, the regressive left is bad, but it's not as, you know, it, it's not as popular as you think it is. We say, well, okay, how popular does it need to be in order for you to start addressing it as an issue? How many, you know, percent, uh, percent, w what's the percentage of college students who identify as being a part of Antifa or who think that you shouldn't be, you know, that there should be a day for white people not to be on campus? What percentage of college students do you think um, would be enough for you to consider this a problem. Is it 10%? Is it 5%? And they say, well, like, okay, let's say, let's say we've conducted a study and we know for a fact that the percentage of students that act that way are five, uh, five to 7%. And if they say, well, all right, 5%, well, okay, then you demonstrate the study and then you manage to, you, you manage to convince them by letting them con convince themselves using their own logic. And I'm hoping that that can become more and more popular as well as people going to extra lengths to try to make sure that they're using or they're interpreting a particular word in the same manner that the other person is doing so. Street epistemology is something I, I started exploring a while back. It's, it's a good way to have some decent conversations with people, but like um, what, I, what I really like about the method is that it's, it's a very, very good bullshit detector. Um, not in, not just with the people that you're speaking with, but it also forces you to ask the same questions of yourself. Why do you believe what you believe? Okay. Now, 
if you're opinionated, then you'll quickly discover you really don't have a lot of good reasons to support whatever it is you believe. But in street epistemology, if you're investigating your own, your own, your own, your own viewpoints, and if you honestly have a glacier beneath the ocean, a structure, a, 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 a series of ideas chaining together that reinforce what it is you believe, then yeah, you, you then you ha you have good reasons mm -hmm. to hold that belief. Right. And it's that fine lattice structure of thought that you should bring out into the world to have have challenged and if it if that glacier of thought you have survives the anvil of honest conversation then that's an idea that should perhaps be shared with the public mm -hmm. if not it demands that you go back to the drawing board and this is where civility really comes into it comes in comes into play because for all of us who have knee-jerk knee reactions to certain buzzwords, to certain, to certain ideas, it's always important to speak to someone with a level of generosity to say, okay, that, like, it doesn't look like you have, a good you have a good response for this, but will you please just at least go back and think about it? To, you know, not, not to... It's, it's important not to use snark, sarcasm, any of that nonsense that 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 will push people away. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not saying that isn't always necessary. I'm not saying that isn't that, that that I'm not saying that's off the table. There there are some times when you have to you have you definitely have to bring some. You have to be much. You have to be much more pointed, especially if some, the person you're talking with is not coming at you from a from a place of good faith. But I mean, are, are you really going to change someone's mind, someone's mind by 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 attacking by attacking them in a very very hostile fashion? I I, I wouldn't think so. Right. And, and people do change their minds. That, that that's something that Seth made very clear last week in his talk. There was um, an example he used of someone who was a white supremacist, someone who's so heavily tatted up in these tattoos that were. That weren't kosher, let's just say. And then <laughs> somewhere along this individual's journey, he discovered he could not continue with white supremacy because it was it was wrong in his eyes. And he went through several procedures, several painful procedures to get all those tattoos removed. This individual changed his mind. Should be a reminder to all of us to when we're reaching out across the other aisle to not only reach out, but whenever possible speak in a speak in a spirit that that encourages conversation and the discussion of ideas right and anyway, I, th I think we need to champion the process of changing your mind many people are scared to do so because they think that it'll be a sign of weakness to other people if i change my mind that means i wasn't as smart as i let off or I didn't really fully fully understand the situation as much as I claimed to, and I think that's that's ridiculous. We have to 
we have to be more open about when we change our mind. I, I've changed my mind many times. I used to be for the death penalty. I changed my mind and now I'm against the death penalty. I used to be strictly anti any form of socialization in a capitalist economy. Now I, um, I'm the opposite of that. Now I think a capitalist economy should require some, some amount of socialization. And I think that's, and my mind could definitely be changed again back to the original position that I had or maybe to a tangential position. And I think we need to start championing that. Um, but, you know, we're, we're going to be running. I usually try to keep these podcasts at, at one hour. So I'll go ahead and let you have the last word. Any closing comments that you want to have? Uh, not really. I mean, I, I think I pretty much said the, the, the stuff that I think is important to say and discuss. I'm like, you, you and I talk about these issues pretty often. And like, I, I think we had a fairly good discussion here that uh, other people on the outside hopefully will listen to and take something away from. Um, yeah. uh, it's th These are important issues that we shouldn't just be brushing under the table. I mean, you, you can make, we can, we can, we can, I, I think we can almost certainly say that in the present era, this, this is, this is the this is the this is this is the McCarthyism of the twenty of the twenty first century that we're running into, and if we want to live in a, I'll, I'll I'll go ahead and end this in the words of Stephen Fry during that debate he and Jordan Peterson had against uh, my, my, Michael Eric Dyson and um, Goldberg in that in the month debate. We all want a fairer, kinder, juster world, juster world, but it's how you get there. And how you get there is by having honest discussions about difficult topics in the spirit of generosity, intellectual honesty, and also in the spirit of compassion for other people and for, other, and for, your, for, your, for, your, for your other living beings. You don't get there through censorship. You don't get there through, 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 through slandering people. And you sure as hell don't get there by... Uh, by 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 the um, by pursuing um, the by by pursuing a toxic version of identity politics, and if we want that world to come, if we want a, a a better kinder world, then it's time to start. It's time to 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 to, to it's time it's time to head up to the uh, to the to discussion table. Reach a hand across the other side and start talking. Yeah, beautifully said. Um, but anyways, thank you very much, Bruce, for being a part and being our, our first guest on the Sodomite's Guide to Reality. Uh, the name is tentative. I'm thinking about changing it for obvious reasons. I thought it would have been fun, uh, you know, tongue-in-cheek humor, but I've been getting some interesting comments about it. So I might go ahead and change it soon. Well, we'll see. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, thanks for joining me, man. I hope to see you soon again. All right, man. Take it easy. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Sodomite's Guide to Reality. If this podcast suits your fancy, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Amateur Kadunkin Experiment, and follow me on Twitter, at LadenPhysicist. Be on the lookout for next week's podcast, in which we get into what may very well be our most controversial cast yet. <laughs>